Hello, everybody. This is Dave Berner, Associate Professor in the Radio Program in the Communication Department in the School of Media Arts at Columbia College, Chicago. And we have a treat for you here. These are some of the very first documentaries done by my students in the radio and audio documentary class, the first one they did this past semester, uh, pre-pandemic. So they had a chance to go out into the world and actually talk to people without doing it through Zoom or Skype or some other way. Uh, so these are unique stories from the students who got A's and B's in this class on this particular project. And I'm just going to let them play. Um, we're going to listen to each one of them as they go by. And I appreciate you uh, taking the time and giving them your support. These are students who work very hard on these projects. I'm proud of the work they did. They should be proud of the work they did. So let's give a listen. It's Friday morning at Animal House of Chicago, where Chief of Staff, Dr. Byron, treats and boards exotic animals. First point was Riley the rabbit, followed by Boss the snake we just saw, Grumpy the hamster canceled. I see Chucky coming in who's a rat with a lump on his abdomen. I have to do two birds, one's named Mars. And then we have Clem, a turtle. So that's my morning. So since Grumpy is not here and it's now nine o'clock, I have a half an hour. I might go ahead and work on one of the birds. He gives boarding birds pedicures and vaccines, but first has to gently catch them in their cages without them escaping. A lot of room. The birds are weighed in a container that looks like a pot you'd make spaghetti in. It has holes on the sides and a lid and is placed on a scale. This is how they weigh the small animals they see, from snakes to birds to rats. Speaking of which, his next appointment is here, Chucky the rat with a ping pong sized growth. Little Chucky there? That's floof. Oh, okay, just fell along for moral company. Support. I understand. <laughs> and so Chucky and Floof get along well together. Yeah, they do. Oh good. And they have two other cage mates that okay. they, they all get along really all well. All four together. Okay, good. Chucky's friend Floof is very curious and friendly. His little nose pokes out of their carrier, sniffing the air to see if there are any treats around. Between appointments, Dr. Byron gives me quick tours of each space in the clinic. He introduces me to a pair of ferrets that they're boarding, and they wiggle over top of each other excitedly to get a closer look at my mic. Also here for boarding are several guinea pigs, cats, a rabbit, and tons of colorful birds, each with their own unique personalities, like Mohawk, or Mo, the severe macaw that loves music from The Wizard of Oz. While Dr. Byron runs labs and takes x-rays of his patients, a cat named Stan is getting surgery. The vet techs and other staff are cleaning enclosures, feeding the animals, and taking tech appointments. Everyone here is busy. It's now time for Dr. Byron to see Clem, a 29-year-old Eastern box turtle. He's here for a wellness checkup. His owner drove down from Wisconsin so that Clem could be seen specifically by Dr. Byron and his staff. The techs in the back weigh him, give him a pedicure, and get a stool sample. In this industry, can you get excited about poop? Dr. Byron files the turtle's beak before returning him to his owner. We use Dremels, different size, depending on what we're trying to do. A little long and a little up front, but unfortunately some of it is, yeah, I know, buddy. It's like, maybe I can bite you while I'm at it. So again, it's just timing, kind of going in and out. In the wild, their beaks are naturally worn down. After being taken care of in the back, Clem is returned to the room and sits on a blanket in his box, watching the human speak. And, you know, I'll probably follow up in a few days just to make sure Clem did well. I was like a call and make sure he didn't get too stressed out. He didn't seem to. Again, we had him back there where it was nice and warm in that other room. And, uh, but then when we felt he had, we finished, you know, stressing him out, we brought him back to you so he could be more comforted potentially to see how things are going. Otherwise, again, he is doing well, and we would see you in about a year. Now that he's seen Clem, Dr. Byron's morning appointments have finally wrapped up. With a lifelong interest in exotic creatures, the range of Dr. Byron's knowledge on animals and their behavior is as extensive and fascinating as the patients he treats. Take the bus from the Elgin Terminal towards the Spring Hill Mall. Look to your right to the railroad tracks. Once you get past Kimball Street, you can see nothing but blue 10 by 20 tarps covering tents over 35. 
It's a little crazy in the city of Elgin. If I want a gun, I'll get one. It gets a little more dangerous. If I want to get two guns, I'll get one. Douglas Christopher Lukey, 57. Grew up middle class. East Coast. Perth Amboy, New Jersey. Right across the Hudson River from Manhattan. To right outside of Chicago, Downers Grove, Illinois. I would have liked to become a detective. Oh boy, I wish I could turn back the hands of time. I take that back. I would have rather become a pro hockey player. We did nothing but fight. Nastily. I go, I go, I go. I do what I do. It's easy to be mean. I cut it out. Win or lose a draw. Shake hands. A detective? Wouldn't have been a problem. But to cross the law, I've done it. I don't need to talk about things like that. I'm capable of myself. Move on and carry the load. Daddy took us all to the Blackhawk game. So I left California to be with my father. Take care of him. I got the call. I left the lady friend of mine to come back to Illinois. My father needed me. I was on my way. I wanted to do it. I leave no man left behind. Things came into place and I lost my father and it's dwindled ever since. There was only four people at Tent City at the particular time, and it was not bad. There was sleep, there was rest, in a tent with friends, periodically off and on, four and a half, five years. And there was bonfires, we had fire extinguishers, buckets of water, and yes, we fished the river. Oh, what a river that was. Yeah, there is a spring that comes down from wing street natural water we cut steps out of the dirt to get down there you could bathe in it you could actually drink the water and we did having fun splashing water drinking soda and it was quite comfortable now the explosion has happened no more tent city there are soup kitchens every night of the week some are close to downtown elgin others you take a bus i am catholic i believe in the lord jesus christ he is forgiving me my sins and yes i have sinned many times been forgiven i am not violent anymore yes i've been arrested for misdemeanor charges of such as trespassing to keep warm at being homeless. I'm not going to talk about my past. There's a bright shining star in the future. Maybe inheritance. $85,000 for myself and my two other siblings that are alive. No. There's a bright bulb in the future. There's too much and there's not an aspect of my dad's money. I got more than that. I am nationwide. I know everybody across the nation. I don't need to lean on a shoulder to say help, hello, how are ya? Shall I be polite and ask him nicely? Or say, like people out here, give do. me a GD, which stands for a good day. Could I please have a cigarette? That's more aspect to do it, as opposed to... Digging through cigarette bunting is what we call it. Ashtrays. Need a pack of rolling papers so you don't have to put your lips on a cigarette that's worth keeping with lipstick all over it. I've never lost faith in anything. Whoever wants to stop me, go ahead and get in my way. The last thing they ever do. Nothing's going to stop me. The only thing that'll stop me would be the Lord Jesus Christ when I have to go to the pearly gates. And guess who's going to open the gates? It's going to be the ones I loved and lost. And the first thing you want to do is play me in dice, rummy, and please don't play me in foosball. You will lose. Took 20 seconds in the state of California. Man, I lost to the champion. I tip my hat to him. If I don't proceed, then why keep going on? The Lord Jesus Christ above me tells me I have to. I'm going to, and nobody's going to stop me. Get in my way, get out of the way. Yeah, give me a second. If I could give the world some advice. Let me think about give it. Give it time. Yeah, let's go Beatles. Give peace a chance. Hold on, I'm not done. Give me a second. Can we, as countries, just mellow out? Get along. Let's knock off the violence. I don't want to hear Donald Trump has potential to hit the red button. Let's just keep it clean. Let's clean it up. Get along. Let's all drink wine from Napa, Chile, Spain. Let's go to Italy and have some Italian food. Oh boy, I'd love to. I ain't taking two steps back. There ain't no turning back. You've heard of math tutors, or Spanish tutors, or a tennis coach, or a yoga instructor, but get ready to pay for the newest lessons you'll have your kids attend. A tutor that helps them get better at video games. Lance, a game design student and casual video game tutor, explained the kinds of people he meets online that ask him to improve their performance in-game. 
I've mostly taught people in Overwatch or Call of Duty, and it's really just aiming because um, people can't seem to land their shots. People, they either, you know, if they're playing with a joystick or a mouse, they tend to either press the trigger early or, you know, shoot early or shoot late. And, you know, they might be on target. Their, their cursor, you know, their their iron sights might be right on, their, on you know, their, their target, but they don't exactly hit them. So does she have, like, a passive ability like most of the other ones, like, where, like, it's not really a button you have to press? That's Jason, the 13-year-old that Lance is tutoring in Overwatch. Lance is playing as McCree, tutoring Jason as Moira. What she doesn't have makes up for it, like, her ultimate and um, just the, the, the slight. I mean, definitely you could say that her healing ability through, you know, holding LT, you know, um, from damaging people is kind of a passive. Parents are like, yeah, they're, they're willing to pay, and it's rarely the kids themselves pay me, so. Well, <laughs> it's kind of weird. I've had some situations where I'll be playing with someone over, let's say, Xbox party chat, and then I hear his parents get out, I'm like, who are you talking with? Uh, you, that, that person's so old, you know, it's kind of like stranger danger, but I, I just play games, like, it's, yeah, I get, I get kind of weird questions regarding, like, the age difference and of me tutoring their son and I'm someone online, a character online that's not really there. So it kind of freaks them out a little. Most of the time, like, it's not like that. Yeah, RT's pretty okay, that will be. You don't even need to play. Like, if I'm, I'm, like, on the side of you, you can definitely hit me. If you can hit me with RT right now, like, just on my side, like, if you, yeah. Oh, not RT, sorry, LT. Hit me with LT. Yeah, you, you, you can pretty much, like, damage me without even having to aim for people that i don't know are like messaging me over xbox or you know over steam they'll be they'll, they'll message me and they'll ask me for help and you know if it's like an hour or something you know i'll charge like five dollars or something like that um depending on what they want to know like tracking with aiming when shooting or um like games like overwatch or um call of duty but um for, you know, like, platform games, you know, Mario, stuff like that, I don't, you know, I don't charge as much. I'll probably charge a dollar. I did have to tutor someone in, in Minecraft because they didn't know how to build things. So, and it was just, it was kind of weird. It was mostly being creative, but uh, they gave me $5. They wanted to give me more. Like, I'll give you $25 if you, I was like, dude, just throw me a, you know, a buck. <laughs> this person was 13. They didn't know how to, they've never played Minecraft, so. Um, it's weird, like, I guess the generation now, um, the parents um, don't care. Like, I'm, I'm assuming, I, I don't know this for sure, but I'm assuming, like, older parents would be kind of, like, not willing to pay for something so, like, unproductive. But nowadays, like, parents are like, yeah, they're, they're willing to pay. Down Western Avenue, on the south side of Chicago, is Open Outcry Brewery. Craft beer is booming, and behind the scenes, women are helping push the industry. Lindsay Summer is one of the managers at Open Outcry. For her, the tradition of brewing runs deep. My family migrated from Italy, and they were bootlegging. They were running, you know, obviously illegally making alcohol, <laughs> like I said, which I get to make legally now. Before joining Open Outcry, Summer was ready to open her own brewery and was in the final stages. She had backing and support from her husband and several people she respected in the industry. You no, know, it wasn't easy. People think it's easy, and it's very, very difficult. And I sat down with my husband, and we had a long talk about it. And um, I had very, very good people in place that said, just tell us when. So it was a total shift of life to come back to this. But what a good choice. I mean, I walk through these doors every day happy as can be. Having been in the industry her entire life, she has learned along the way. But mentoring from brews she considers the best has taught her about what she likes and how her palate differs from her male counterparts. I was lucky enough to work with a brewer that really made me feel like I got it. I mean, I will have taste something completely different than John or Jordan who works here, Jan, you know, completely different. So that is definitely something I've learned. 
Summers and head brewer Will opened the brewery every day. Will came to open Outcry after being at the helms of both Goose Island and Revolution Brewery. We all try to be a part of it, but he's like a machine back there. Lindsay Summers is expanding her brewing role and supports fellow women in the industry collaborating on new brews. We have an uh, all-girls dragon boat team called the Southside Cyrus, and my whole crew is brewing a beer there that's going to be released April 2nd. Back at the brewery, she's getting chances to have more input on what is coming out of the taps. We made a Mexican hot chocolate. I bet. I was like, let's do this, you know, and complete, they all agreed right away, which is rare, that everybody across the board is like, yes! I like a lot of malt, double IPAs, triples, Russian Imperials, porters, stouts. Those are always my go-to. Though people may be surprised by the growing number of women in the industry, Traditionally, brewing was what women did until it became seen as witchcraft. The comeback of female brewers is not for the faint of heart. You have to be resilient, you have to be tough, and you have to be also for your staff empathetic and understanding. I mean, you have to be very getting yang. Summer sees herself as someone who has crossed stereotype lines due to her personality and having been lucky to work with so many supportive people. I think the people in this industry, we just get each other. We're a certain breed, you know, and everybody understands. It's like one big happy family. Chicago was brewing almost 100 gallons of beer a year before Prohibition. Now, with nearly 140 breweries in the Chicagoland area, Summer says she sees it returning to how it was before Prohibition, where your local bar was your local brewery. It's amazing, the growth. So there's always something to do. There's always something new to learn. It's nonstop. Who wouldn't want to be a part of it? Tattoos are forever. Or at least mostly. So getting a tattoo can be a pretty big decision. But an even bigger decision can be choosing to remove a tattoo. People can get tattoos for all sorts of reasons. Maybe it's someone or something that you love. Maybe it's a special date that you want to remember forever. Maybe you just thought it was funny. Whatever the reason, there's always a great story behind every tattoo. But there's an even better story behind why you're getting rid of a tattoo. So I found some people who were getting tattoos removed and asked them not only why they got the tattoo, but more importantly, what changed and why they're getting rid of the tattoos. Dana Nobile. Alexa Rodriguez. Tina Ruiz, R-U-I-Z. The first thing I asked was that everyone describe what exactly the tattoo depicts. Sure, so I have two tattoos. They're both tribal tattoos, all black tribal. Uh, it's in German, and it's supposed to say love forever. But does it? I have no idea. Well, I have two that I'm currently getting removed. Um, the first one was because I was young, and at the time I was into tribal butterflies. Now that we had the what of the tattoo, I wanted the why. I wanted the story behind the tattoos. Rebellion. 16 years old. Just wanted a tattoo. That's exactly what it is. Um, because a guy I was dating at the time was into tattoos, and I think I just kind of wanted him to like me more. <laughs> so this one, I'm getting, I'm getting another one removed because that was a date, again, when I was younger with a boyfriend. <laughs> So we knew why the tattoos came in the first place, and for some of them the answer is obvious, but what changed to make people want to get rid of that tattoo? The tribal butterfly is on the back of my neck, and I mean, I got it when I was 18. I'm 37 now, so I go to a lot of events where my hair is up, and gala is in, in events that it's typically not acceptable to that group of people to maybe have a tattoo showing. Um, it looks to them unprofessional. And I tried to get into the Air Force when I was younger too, and because of that, they would not let me in. Because this was an impulse rebellion, cool thing to do. So I was recently married a year and a half ago, and the tattoo that I'm getting removed was always kind of a sore spot for my husband. He hates tattoos, he has no tattoos. Um, and he said, I will actually pay for you to get that tattoo removed. And I said, yeah, okay. I'm really not kind of connected to it. 
um, no problem, and that's why I'm getting it removed because the new husband doesn't, or the you know the husband doesn't like them. So there you go. Now here's what I found surprising: for all of the people I interviewed who were getting tattoos removed, each and every one of them had at least one tattoo that they wanted to keep. The second tattoo I got with a girlfriend. Um, she had never had a tattoo, and it was kind of like an outing that we had that day. So it was a nice memory. Unfortunately, she has passed away since um, in a car accident. So it is a is a constant reminder of our friendship. So that one means something to me. I, I have like 12. So most of the other ones are easier to cover. Um, so I'm not too concerned about them. And they're nice. They don't have a, a bad story behind them. or So yeah, I'll keep those. Because <laughs> I, have, I have dog paws right here. Mm. And I love them. I got them when I was 18. And I got them actually inside somebody's apartment. And it's just, this, this is like the most meaningful tattoo because I love dogs. And it brings me back to when I worked at a dog kennel. And I've lost already two dogs in my life. So it's like, it's the, it just keeps building the meaning. And I actually want to build on that. So those I love. But this thing, no. They all seem to share a similar philosophy on tattoos. If you're going to mark your body permanently, make it count. I think if it's a good tattoo, it's a nice tattoo. So I don't, I just think my stance would be, I understand now why my mom, when I was younger, would tell me not to because they're permanent. And so really it changed my stance in just encouraging people to be sure you want this tattoo, be sure of the reason you want it and be sure of the placement. If it was meaningful and if there's a story behind it and it's accurately placed, on a position of your body that's easy to cover up and it's small enough or even if it's big as long as it has that in-depth meaning it's the right thing to do and I think that a tattoo really needs to be a thought-out process. I'm happy with the one that's left because it means something and I can't think of any other ones that would mean something that I don't already have inside. Essentially they all seem to believe that if a tattoo means something to you, if it carries meaning, it's worth keeping. But there is still a cautionary tale in it. Just make sure that before you mark your body permanently with some ink, that you know it's going to mean something to you. This is toxic. It's toxic. That, that's it's homophobic. That, that combo is homophobic and racist. Okay, you relax. No! No! Oh, I almost got it. I was this close. With buttons pressing and echoes heard of cheers and devastation, Ignite Gaming Lounge is holding yet another tournament for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Ignite has been organizing Smash tournaments since 2015, when Smash 4 was released. They are most notable for holding the largest Smash events weekly in Chicago, and continue to still do so. Naturally, I wanted to know the addictive quality about this video game. What makes players keep coming back for more every week? The room starts out small with players practicing friendlies against each other before the real tournament begins. Uh, I mean Falcon. I mean Man and Link since Yoshi. Uh, Rob main. Not Falcon main, Marvin. Uh, Link. I mean Zero. I mean Captain Falcon. I play Inkling. Oh, I mean uh, Ice Climbers, Corrin, kind of ZSS. I'm one of those people who plays a little bit of everyone for fun. For what most find as a hobby, others find it as something else. Since the rise in esports, you can find that many people put aside their personal time to train and play with others every week. But for what exactly? Uh, it's a different kind of stressor. It's like a fun stressor because it's definitely still stressful. You know, like um, being in a competitive environment. You know, you, people here tend to take it very seriously. I, I, I don't know. I like the environment. Uh, I, I like being able to play people that I don't normally play against. Even though everyone around here is pretty familiar to me, um, like as when I go out of state, like it's really good to be able to play different people that I've never had the experience of playing before, because I learn a lot of new things, and it helps me here. It is. I told myself I'll quit a lot of times, but I never do. I ended up playing just because of the community. Like I always played casually growing up, but. Now I come to weeklies, like, I mean, I come for the people at this point, like the people, the atmosphere. But you know, going to local tournaments or inviting a friend over just to practice feels so much better than just going online. For me, it's more of a coping mechanism, like more like just to get away from like reality and life. 
you know, I wake up in the morning not needing to stress about anything really. But like, you know, Smash really got me like out of a lot of situations where I can just go to tournaments, hang out with friends, and like never like I like I would never replace that for sure. Like now, like I may not enjoy the game as much, but I do love the community. The community's been nice to me for so many years. I've been meeting new people every tournament, you know, it's it's never ending. And like I feel like this is like where I belong, you know, it's the place where I feel like I can be myself and no one's gonna judge me, you know, for it, you know. But other than that, I love this community and for everything like I've done and you know learned and whatnot. As the music blared louder every minute, people were filling the space waiting for the brackets to start. There are over 20 circular tables filled with at least seven monitors each. Other tables and couches are surrounding the floor, but it's for other games. As for the monitors, it's used to display all the Nintendo Switches for incoming players. The workers are starting to set up two large speakers around three main tables so that it can communicate which two players will go up against each other, where they will sit, and where they will compete. Almost everyone is using a GameCube controller since it seems to be the standard for tournament playing. For the top players, they get to play in a separate room with cameras placed around them. Their match will be recorded and streamed on Ignite's channel for others to watch online. Majority of high school boys and older men walk around with backpacks in a stagger of anticipation. They're ready to let loose for the night and finally play a game against their fellow rivals. They're all here for the same goals, to either win or to get better. Smash players get really competitive over the game. Like, if, you, if you're if you playing Smash competitively and you haven't cried over losing, you're not a real Smash player. I'm serious. I've, I've cried on at least one occasion after taking a really bad loss. And the reason losing in Smash sucks is because as a fighting game, like, you have to hold that L. You lost because of the way you played. It's not a team-based sport. You lost because of the, the way you played. If you want to improve, that's on you. If you suck, that's on you. If you're motivated to improve, that's on you. It's So you literally carry everything in this game. You you are what you make yourself to be. It feels terrible to lose. Um, like Because the thing is, especially when you work so hard and you lose, it's kind of like I'm telling you, like you did something wrong, what did you do wrong, and how can you improve on that later on? But it's like it's kind of the like the motivation stops at, after a while, you know? Like in Smash 4, like you could tell anybody, I was very motivated, very like dedicated to learn the game. Now it feels more like a job, actually, and it, it's not that fun. I really, I'll be honest with you, it's really not fun when it becomes a job because you have expectations that go on upon, upon you, and it's like you gotta fulfill those, or you know, you lose those things that you know makes your life go straight. And but so, regardless you know, of the pleasure or disappointment that you may receive after fighting your opponent. There are better victories at the end of the day. Yeah, of yeah, course. Of course. Going to tournaments is a wholesome community, you know, where you can uh, meet new people yeah. and you get to like, you know, they're so nice and you, you know you get you get to learn a lot. Yeah. And socialize and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, it's so fun. That's why Ignite feels like a home to me. For me, this game is like treasure. Like it, like I treasure this game so much, and without. Without Smash, I would not be where I am right now. I, like, yeah, I don't want to say much more than that, but, like, it's like I would have been in a darker place, you know? So this game, this game literally brought me back to life, you know? Whether it's the people you meet or the gems you experience in your life, this video game really is just something else. No, Smash is beautiful. I'm not even... <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Like, not even the like the game itself. So, like, I'm kind of older. I, I went to college like 10 years ago, and our friends created a, a drinking game revolving around Smash, of course, right? And so, just like the community, even if it's like a local group of like three guys playing together for fun, or like this type of tournament, which I've never been to, like it just really, really brings people together. And of course, it's a game on the surface, but the memories that it gives you, like through the good times you have with it, like it's very priceless. It's, it's can't be replaced. They suck, and they suck. Unfulfilled potential. Growing up in Chicago as a sports fan comes with many disappointments from my generation. I can't even say I'm a fan of any team in the city besides the Chicago Bulls, who have been struggling recently. With the decline of Chicago sports in the recent years, I went around Chicago asking Chicagoans who they felt like the worst sports team was in a city. The Chicago Bulls' heyday was in the 90s when the GOAT and his airiness ruled the NBA bringing fear and pain into the heart of the other 29 teams that had to face him each season. 
The Bulls had two three-peats imagine six total champions over the time that Michael Jordan played with the team. But hints of greatness came from here and there every now and then. Bears fans are still waiting for that Super Bowl shuffle that hasn't happened since the 85-86 season when Walter Payton, the Fridge, Jim McMahon, and Dicker won the NFL's most coveted prize, the Vince Lombardi Trophy. And the White Sox haven't won the World Series championship in 2005. The only two teams in the city that have had recent success in years are the Chicago Cubs, who won the World Series championship in 2016, and the Chicago Blackhawks, who have won Stanley Cups in 2010, 2013, and 2015. With some of these organizations, there's some stuff to look forward to, and for others, it might just be time to remodel and go back into tank mode to put a whole team together. As a Chicagoan, recently sports have been in the decline in our city, so I'm going around asking people, what's the worst sports team in Chicago? I'd probably say the Sox just means tickets are cheap, so it's fun to go and watch them, but yeah, it's a, it's a north-south side thing. It's more opinion than fact, but... <laughs> team in Chicago is the Bears. Bears are the worst team because of how overhyped they is, how bad of a quarterback a Trubisky is, and just how the defense hasn't been as good as it was last season. Probably Chicago uh, putting in the trades, you know, to get Cam Newton or Kyle Kaepernick will make the team a whole lot of better because of their greatness. They have a lot of confidence and swagger to their game, and I just feel like Trubisky's game isn't there. Isn't going to fit in Chicago. So what's the worst sports team in Chicago to you? The Bulls. Do you have a reason for why the Bulls are the worst team in Chicago? They suck, and they suck since a long time ago. I feel like the Bulls, whoever is, like, over them, is a very cheap person. They could have had so many great people on their team. See, now, you would think I would say the Bears is the worst team, but the Bears have potential. They just have to get their... Um, their people in line and stop denying all the greatness, you know what I'm saying? But they, the Bears have a lot of potential. The Cubs, they already showed us their potential. We know they got it. But the Bulls haven't showed us anything in years, and we know that to be true. And they deny all the great players, and all they want is all these, like, bench-warming rookies on their team, and they suck. So... And everybody that gets on the on the Bulls team, it's like bad luck because they end up breaking something and then they can't play basketball no more. So I feel like the Bulls is a bad luck team and they're bad luck for Chicago as well. So with that with the answer to your to your question about like who owns the Bulls, the person that owns the Bulls actually owns the White Sox as well. So do you see there's something kinda coinciding with the two teams being on the downfall? Yes, of course. I didn't know that. So this is good information to know because the White Sox used to be in their peak prime. Like, they used to be it. But now I see it, though. I didn't know that. It's I guess I feel like it's just the teams are cheap and they don't want – they know who they need on their team. They know how to manage their team and what to do. But I feel like because of the plays that they want cost so much and are higher in ranking that they don't want to pay that money, which is understandable. But – I mean, if you don't want to keep losing games and stuff, you would pay that money to get the best players on your team that you would get. So it kind of makes sense because the White Sox is down in right now and the Bulls is down in right now. So it makes a lot of sense. They need to fire him. How about that? So what team in Chicago is the worst sports team to you and why? I am going to have to go with the Chicago Bears. I, I, I would choose the Bears because... They just disappointed me this year, personally, and they disappointed everyone this year. You had, as far as expectations go, they didn't feel the expectations. And it's okay if you are not necessarily a championship team or a playoff team, but if you're predicted to be one and then you just crash and burn, yeah. As teams lose, fan interest goes down. Chicago hosting All-Star Weekend was a step in the right direction for regaining some fans for the Chicago Bulls. But the other teams in the city have a lot of work to get done still. This was Cameron Miller, concerned Chicago sports fan, and DJ for WCRX 8.1 FM. Maria Sines is a patient with severe Alzheimer's and dementia. She's one of 5.8 million Americans who can't recall or remember memories of her past and loses bits and pieces of herself more and more every day. It's hard to tell if Maria has completely forgotten about her memories or just struggles remembering anything about herself or those around her at all. Neurologist Oliver Sachs did a study on a man named Henry who suffered with Alzheimer's. 
He played his favorite music and songs from his era and noticed that Henry would recall and remember so much about his past because of the music. I decided to try this with Maria by having her grandson Apollinar ask her questions before and after listening to music to probe her memory. How many kids do you have, Tita? Yeah. Me? Look, there's one, the oldest one. Um, no, my child, I don't remember. What can I say? I'm forgetting everything. And what are the names of all your children? Do you remember the names of your kids? No, You don't remember? No. Here, I'm going to show you something. See if you like it. I'll take it off right now. It's really beautiful, my child. At this point, I let a few of Maria's favorite songs play. We wanted her to be disconnected for a little while, and when she was done, we gave her a chance to answer some more questions. This song in particular had a huge impact. Wow, such great songs. It's really, really beautiful. It's beautiful, right? When you listen to that song, what does it remind you of? Of course, your grandpa. He would play it and say, woman, I'm going to play this song for you. And I'd say, go for it. And so he'd play it and he'd say, but you got to sit down and listen to it. And I'd be like, sure, sure, I'll sit. My poor old man. You really like that song? Oh, yeah, my child. Who else liked that song besides my grandpa? I think it was my first daughter or my second one. She would say, Mama, play me the song. And I would say, no, you play it, my child. So she'd go and listen to her song, and she'd say, oh, Mamacita, how I love that song. I tell her, that's good. Just don't forget it. You might die soon, and you're going to have that song in mind when the time comes. <laughs> and yeah, unfortunately, she was really sick. And she'd say, Ma, play my song. I don't want any of you to forget me. And I would tell her, yeah, my child, I'll play it for you right now. And you were saying she was sick? Yes, it was Chentita. Esta Chentita. Oh, Chentita? Sí. And she'd say, Mama, please listen to the song I love. And I would respond to her with, Here, we'll play it to remember you. You're going to die, and that's the song you'll carry with you. And yeah, my child, she was really sick. And Chentita would say, Oh, Ma, that song that I love. Can you believe I forgot that, my child? But it's nice to remember, right? Yes, my child. It's really nice to remember. It really hits Maria after the listening session that forgetfulness has become her reality. She became really emotional, but Apollinar and I were fascinated. Maria had remembered details about her husband, Jesus, and her daughter, Gentita, after listening to that specific song. Before playing any music at all, she couldn't even remember any details about her children, her youth, or even the people she's around on a daily basis. Since the part of Maria's brain that is associated with listening to music is one of the last to be affected by Alzheimer's, it becomes a link that connects the otherwise broken pathways between Maria and her lost memories. The music helped Maria gain back a sense of her identity, and what Oliver Sacks' study proved also worked with Maria. Just like there's pharmaceutical medicine to help heal illnesses and conditions, Music is medicine for Maria Sainz and other Alzheimer's and dementia patients who live in daily isolation and need help reconnecting with themselves and their past. You're listening to WCRX and the documentaries of the students in the radio and audio documentary class. Nerd. Some use it as an insult. Others wear it as a badge of pride. Whether it be the person who knows which Harry Potter house they belong to. I'm a Hufflepuff, by the way or a group of friends who spend their weekends practicing medieval combat drills with homemade swords and shields, there's a lot of ways to have fun on a Saturday. Can I have you describe what we're doing here? 
It's essentially medieval fighting, but with foam weapons. It's full contact. You need to actually hit them hard enough for them to feel it, for it to count. It's super fun. You get so active in it. It's just so much fun to do all the time. It's based off of real weapons and you use, you know, basically real fighting techniques to take down your opponent. Well, to me, it's just a fun sport where you pretend like you have swords and shields and you go kill people. What's your favorite aspect of Bellagirth? My favorite thing is that I can swing a big two-handed sword at somebody and not kill them or get in trouble. Honestly, killing people, <laughs> like, as when you're at a big event, and you actually get someone out, that just feels really good. Because it's fun. I have a lot of friends that do it now, and I just really enjoy the workout it gives. Why do you do this? It just seems like an easy way to get hurt. Because I'm a nerd. <laughs> because it's fun. I mean, the exercise is kind of a plus to me. I think a lot of people, including myself, would say meeting everybody that's a part of it. Because when you're just doing your own thing, it's kind of like, yeah, that's nice and all. But when you meet other people that are also super interested in the sport, it's amazing. The circle, because we're, I mean, we're all friends. It's, it's just, we're not even a club. We're friends hanging out, you know, every week, just hitting each other. I generally do it because it's a good chance to do uh, something physical and it's a good chance to interact with a good community of people. Mostly just a sense of community. I started my freshman year in when I just I had just moved here from New Jersey and I was feeling very lost and lonely and I just I was desperate for, for for a friend group and this club welcomed me with open arms and I just ended up staying because of the friendships I made here. Kurt Vonnegut said something about families, about how everybody needs to belong to something to feel whole. I think that Bellagarth is a way for people to find their family even if it is just a bunch of nerds running around with fake swords. My name is Khaled, and I am 15 years old. One thing about having cerebral palsy is that it's, like, difficult to walk and stand. You have a wheelchair. And the most part is I have a lovely mother and a lovely father and a lovely grandfather. What about grandmother? And a oh, <laughs> My life is so great. It's it it's just it's a a a big a big world, a, a big, a big world. Every day of my life changes. Every second of every day changes. And you realize that the bus drivers are so nice. Pretty much my mom takes me out every day. Therapy, therapy, therapy. Every Monday and Friday and Wednesday. Lots of hard work and all that good stuff and roll over and sit by yourself. Cool is so cool. We get to travel every hour to different classes. Yeah, I have friends. Oh man, I have like 50,000. <laughs> We go to the movies. There's this girl named Megan. She invited me bowling one time. Oh really? Is it like a date? I guess you can say that. <laughs> My driving skills, they're one of the best to drive, okay? I don't care what no person says in this room. A plus, plus, plus. 
A day like for me is to bug Layla off my horrible, horrible, horrible sister. Because, you know, sometimes we get into fights. Oh, and there's the person that was in the shower for God knows how long. My mother, she's, she's my role model. Every day I dream about being like her. She helps me out a lot. So I, I feel like she's the number one priority in my life. And she's my Uber driver, and she drives me from place to place. It's just like she's always been there for me. And she doesn't know how great, how, 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 how grateful I am for her and all my brothers and all my grandparents and all my uncles and all my aunts i i freaking love all of you people will stare at me and they will just give me a weird look and um i don't like when people give me weird looks because it's like it's like they're looking at me like, what's that kid doing? It's like, it's just like, it's so, it's so paranoid. It's really damn annoying. I want them to know that I'm smart. I'm intelligent. My, uh, my life is de dedicated to school. I mean, school is my life. It's a different me. It's a different side of me that people aren't seeing. I'm in a wheelchair most of my day, I know. And it's like really hard to walk. For people that think, okay, that's easy for disabled people to walk, well, it's not. It's not people. You guys are on silly juice. Just feel like I'm up and up and coming to be a new daughter, and so just keep living your best, people. This is daughter signing off to everybody. Go a good night. Today, what did I do today? Um, I was supposed to have a phone check in with one of my clients who's on and off suicidal. That's Stephen Tompkins. He's an outpatient services therapist. He spends all week helping people. So I spent the evening with him trying to figure out how exactly does a therapist de-stress. The first main component is not bringing anything home with you. Usually I'm pretty good at just like leaving it at work. Sometimes I have trouble doing that if it's like something directed at me. Sometimes if I like think it's like super interesting what we talked about it'll stay with me a little bit longer and I'll like play around with the ideas of like what we talked about in my head like just because I find it interesting mm -hmm. not because like and I just like can't get it out of my head if I find it interesting just because that's like how I am. His normal week is so hectic but after doing this job for almost six years it's pretty routine. It takes a really particular circumstance for him to get thrown off at all. He started talking about wanting to go to the hospital that he had been at where he felt like he wasn't treated like a decent human being and shoot the people that work there, right? And that freaked me out because I like knew him for a really long time. Um, I didn't think he, I didn't think that would actually happen. I don't think he would do that. But like, it also just like, hurt so bad. It hurt me that he was in so much pain that he was saying those things. We went back to his house to get started on just a daily de-stress routine. 
and physical exercise is a really big help. So today he was lifting weights. Yeah, I got stuck at the bottom of the squat at 365. Um, we were doing like a set of 10 or something. And I was like, I was just like down there. I was like, I'm stuck, I don't know what to do. He's like, just let her roll off your back. And I was just like, let it go. Physically burning off steam is so important. So about five years ago, he started regularly working out. Now he can squat the equivalent of about three of me. My glasses didn't fall off. And how much was that? That was 405. At this point in time, his wife Kate was getting home. So I got to talk to her about what it's like to be married to somebody with this type of high stress job. She was prepping the vegetables for dinner. Steven loves to cook dinner and Kate really doesn't. So it's just kind of another mundane thing that helps him de-stress. I mean, I worry all the time, just in general, because he works with like, he'll just drop a random comment sometimes like, oh yeah, one of my clients today, oh, they got off of, they got out of prison recently, they killed a guy, and I'm like, oh, you had a one-on-one -on -one session with them, terrific, that does great amounts for my stress levels, thank you for telling me that. Um, so that part is very stressful, it's just like, knowing that he works with people who are mentally unstable is incredibly stressful for me. Um, but I also recognize that these people need help and he is one of the better people qualified to actually help them. So I understand, don't like it still. <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely think like he'll, he'll bring home stories from some of his like group therapies and he'll just be like laughing like, oh yeah, they thought like the president like personally called them haha what a kook and I'm like you're in the same room with this person like they're delusional where's the safety like are you going to be okay <laughs> while Stephen was cooking the fish for dinner I asked if he could recall the last circumstance that really made him feel uneasy like this woman was giving up her children for adoption and she was also like having some psychosis and she had borderline personality disorder and she couldn't decide she was like which one do you do you want to keep which one do you give up for adoption because like like i said that's what she was doing and she like was able to specifically say i don't want that baby that one's the bad baby steven has all these little techniques to try and de-stress but his main method is just finding the comedy in every situation i truly see what he does as being a selfless hero he literally saves people's lives. And as long as he just leaves people's names out of it, he's got some fantastic stories. He was like, you know, I posted a picture and people didn't like it, so they banned me. I was like, well, what did you post? He was like, I just posted a tasteful nude. <laughs> and I'm like, so you posted a, a naked picture of yourself on Facebook? He's like, it was a tasteful nude. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, you know, it's like, it's against Facebook, Facebook's rules to put naked pictures of yourself up there. He's like, but it was a tasteful nude. <laughs> For the past 15 years, there's been a bizarre charity event going on. One where people push customized shopping carts five miles in silly costumes. This is Shai Diderot. What would you guys describe it as exactly? I describe it as a charity bar call where we're yeah. raising food for the hungry, putting on elaborate costumes, and racing. Some of these runners are new. Oh, you've never done this before? Yeah, okay, I would then. say you're, we're probably the worst. Okay, no, 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 but perfect. we're probably the most prepared. And some of them are veterans. This is uh, my fifth year, her sixth year. Uh, we've been on the same team. Have we always been Kartastro? Then? There's the Secret Gentlemen's Club. Uh, so I am uh, with the Secret Gentlemen's Club. We are a team that participates in uh, Shaitidarab. We've been in 13 of the last 15 Shaitidarabs. Okay. Uh, we're kind of known for building a, uh, an art cart um, that is pretty elaborate. We tend to build large art carts out of multiple carts. We're kind of uh, uh, friends with the, uh, some of the, the, the core founders of the event. Um, and so we kind of started when it was small, and have just—it's—it's it's been awesome to kind of kind of watch how how big it's grown over the the past uh, 15 years. I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, what you guys have because I just I'm I'm going to see your build uh, this Saturday. Yeah, cool. Yeah, come yeah, yeah. on by. Yeah.
So what does the group, known for extravagant builds, do on a build day? Well, first I was curious about the build. Hey, what's up there? I'm, uh, here to interview some people. Hey, Cameron. Cameron, nice to meet you. Pleasure. So, uh, this is the riverboat, huh? This is part of it, yeah. It's not a down riverboat yet. It's gonna take us forever to build the river. You guys gonna get like a paddle in the back as well, or? Well, we're doing it on the side. Okay. There was an option to put it in the back, but we wanted to have a stairway to get on and off. So, uh, another perfectly valid option, side paddles, actually, because you can maneuver them better. Yeah. And, you know, when we're out on the river, it's going to be hard to move in the first place, because this is no buoyancy. This will probably sink right <laughs> the shopping, away. Shopping carts don't provide any buoyancy. That wasn't really float the way I expected, I think. From what Dan told me, a lot of the supplies they use are recycled. Last year's Shaydiderod, a lot of, couple years worth of Shaydiderod there. Cardboard castles, man. Then I was curious about the crowd. Who really is the secret gentleman's club? I was really curious, so you guys started as a five-man team, correct? Originally, yeah. So how did it kind of become this really big, like, 15-man of just You know, you, 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 we took a few pictures, people said, that looks like fun, I'd like to do that next year, and then we had ten people, and... Those 10 people said, oh, there's this thing you ought to try. It's really fun. And so they would come and watch. And basically, it just, you know, for a lot of years, we had taggers along who would just kind of follow us. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be me, me this year. I guarantee I'm going to end up in your team next year. You're going to have It's like word of mouth. So, I mean, that's how you hear about it. You see it once, and you're like, holy stuff. And then most people drive by in their car, and they're like, what in the hell are you guys doing? I thought is in order to hold the steep seams in place for the temperature change, that if you got them to just brush, whether it be Railing, you're gonna seal paint line. Do it now. Let it set up so you get a prime coat on it for when you're gonna shoot. I want to get that. as much tape done as we can here. You'll notice the front here. Oh, I know that. Up. But if they started at the aft, we came forward. That we're halfway through the boat, or we have the aft. Dude, we are very close to being fully taped here. There's not much well, to do. Break open a, you just spray the whole thing on. Well, this is. It's gonna be a defibrillator for snakes, as far as I'm concerned. Bam. Um, yeah, that's probably seen better days. Well, that's wow. okay. Pink boats are kind of like white boats. Well, it's a lot of hanging out. People chill, have a few drinks until they're called to help with the build. Later. I think so. Hi. Hi, dear. Hi, Elizabeth. Nice to meet you. I even indulged a little myself. Would you like beer? Sure, I'll take a beer. We have the bridges full. Help yourself to anything you want in there. Man, I'm gonna show up dressed as a like a cowboy and be like, I'm here. I'm here to rob the, the riverboat casino. <laughs> I think we have a sheriff on our team. You <laughs> might want to watch out. It's a get together of friends. Is there like is that is that's the only um, volume decibel level of that? Oh, you're wondering if it gets any quieter. <laughs> It's so loud. So. That's because it's in an enclosed area. I imagine. No, the, the horn. Oh, I didn't hear it. What? What? <laughs> Everybody has fun doing this, and I hope they have fun doing this. You know, it can be a little stressful at times. It can be, you know, there's a lot of anxiety over, you know, how's the weather going to work? Are we going to get it done in time? Is it going to come in on budget? Because we try to keep the place as low yeah. as possible. You know, am I going to get a chance to help the way I want to help is a big one. Because there's so many things to do. And like I said, there's often bottlenecks in the production. So mm -hmm. people sometimes stand around thinking, I'm not helping. But you know what? Standing around and helping isn't always doing stuff sometimes. It's, it's being there. Yeah, you know, being like, like on call. Yeah, On call. Adding to sort of the festive atmosphere. You know, that's what kind of what put, puts energy into a lot of this. Yeah. Here's the thing. It's an odd event, sure, but what brings people together? Get 15 people every year? They become a family. And they become people you can rely on. Who knows? Maybe I'll run it with them next year. Thank you to all the students who took part in these projects today and the people they interviewed. Thank you for your support. Students did great work. We've got more for you later this semester at Manifest Time with some other documentary work from the students in my class in the radio and audio documentary class. 
for this semester. Thanks again. I'm Dave Werner, Associate Professor in the Radio Program at Columbia College Chicago. This is WCRX. This podcast has been created in partnership with WCRX 88.1 FM, Chicago, Illinois. If you enjoyed that content, be sure to search WCRX wherever you get your podcasts for more access to our entire network.